Welcome back to Cold Weather Bats. Hope everyone had a great holiday. Uh, we are excited for this week. It is Juco week at Cold Weather Bats. We've got three fantastic guests, three loaded interviews. Uh, we've got Jordan Kerr from Lansing Community College. Uh, we've got Dazon Cole, who is a Central Michigan graduate, spent some time with the Angels and is now in the US PBL. And then we got Colin Schakowsky a Woodhaven grad who is now at Wabash Valley. And we will not waste much time. We'll get right into it. You can follow us on Twitter at ColdWeatherBats, uh, and you can keep up with everything we're doing uh, pretty much on a daily basis. We've got some uh, some merch rolling out here soon. Excited to share that with you. If you like a little preview, you can go check out the images there on Twitter. Uh, but like I said, we won't waste much time. We'll get right into our interview with Lansing Community College's head coach, Jordan Kerr. We're joined by Lansing CC coach Jordan Kerr, uh, formerly of Michigan State, if you folks might remember that far back, uh, although that's really not that far back now that we're thinking about it. Anyways, here on JUCO Week at Cold Weather Bats, we're joined by Lansing CC head coach Jordan Kerr. Jordan, thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We're going we're gonna to start this off right off the bat with a hard-hitting question. And it's something that I'm passionate about. Like, obviously, Jordan, we're, our relationship, a lot of it stems from the fact that of my work with Perfect Game on, on the JUCO world. And so I think we, we share a, a similar disdain for this topic. But I would really love to hear it from the horse's mouth, a head JUCO baseball coach. Tell me why the prevailing you know, connotation amongst the baseball world of, of JUCO being a negative outcome for a player is stupid. Like, please, please explain to me what I already know, but so the folks can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, I want to thank you for all the stuff you do for, for the Juco baseball world, man. Uh, without guys like you, uh, the recognition for some of our guys and players and programs wouldn't, wouldn't happen. So first off, thank you for all you do for, for Juco baseball. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I can, I can tell you, I was at the division one level for about five years um, at Eastern Michigan and Michigan State and then took the head co coaching job at Lansing Community College and right off the get-go just in JUCO in general like the level of competition is is incredible and people don't realize how good JUCO baseball really really truly is in the level of talent um, across the board all over the country um, and I, I don't know I think uh, I, I don't know if this is the right term but it's just I think people in this day and age it's just not the sexy pick uh coming out of high school like people want to put out on social media like i'm going to a michigan state or a michigan and not so much a lansing community college um so i think i, I don't i don't know I, I i have my thoughts on social media and and, and that type of stuff but man i can tell you that coming from a division one as a, as a player and coach and then going to a coach at a juco it's it's been like, like I said, the talent level there across the board is it's there, man. And, and, and guys at the Juco want it, man. They're still working for, for that scholarship for, to get to that next level and, and to see that and to be a part of that development of, of guys. It's incredible. Jordan, I'm going to put you on the spot here just for a moment. Think of something or, or, or a situation with a player from the past that you've had at LCC where it might be a really good example for a player who may be chasing that big brand, that, that D1 um, sort of stigma that I, I like to call it sometimes, um, where it almost feels like if I'm not going D1, I'm not doing anything. But if you could give me just a, an example of a, of a former player or somebody maybe even recently at LCC who went on to do great things by starting at LCC. 
Well, I can tell you Zach, Zach Fruit's one of them. Um, mm. I came in, and, and Zach Fruit, I mean, he goes about 6'5", six, 6'4", six, uh, big right-handed pitcher. Always, first year I got there, he was, I mean, he was 80, mid to high 80s. Um, always had an explosive arm. You knew it was in there. Um, but things started to click. Weight room was a big part of his development. Um, arm care, driveline, like that stuff was a big part of his development. And you could just see it. And it's really cool to see someone like that develop over the, over the two years. And shoot, I think you guys just had him perfect game or somebody came out uh, and ranked him 310th in the, in the country. Uh, he went yep. to Eastern Michigan last year and I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do because you talk about a guy that just continued to, to work and get better and better and better and better. Um, and he just needed that, those couple extra years. And that's, that's all it took. Um, in, in credit to him, he put in the work um, to get there. But he's a he's a big time example of a guy out of high school that that had some stuff, but but nobody really wanted to take a flyer on him. Goes to a JUCO, develops for for two years, and now it's it's he's going to be one of the top players coming in, in the country, competing in the com- country next year. It was actually kind of a unique thing with him as far as like being on the PG draft board. Like he was on the JUCO board a year ago. So, you know, I was familiar with the name, but I, I hadn't heard anything, you know, basically since COVID shut down. And then uh, Vinny, uh, Vinny Servino, the guy I worked the draft stuff with at PG, he called me up. We were mid-list, man. Like we were, you know, putting together one of the final rough drafts. And he calls me. He's like, hey, I just talked to a scout in the Midwest. Like, I, I guess there's a kid at Eastern. And I was like, wait, what, really? Like, what, who? And he goes, yeah, it's some, some, uh, some Juco transfer. He's a pitcher from, like, Lansing CC. And I was like, oh, Zach Fruit? <laughs> I was, like, really excited to, to, like, put that together in my brain. But, yeah, yeah, that was a – I was like, <laughs> like, that's excellent. That's great news. And then, you know, the dope was all very good, and, and the scouts' opinions were all very good. So it was easy to, to place him on the list like that. But definitely, definitely a, like – you know, like a thunderstruck brain type of moment. Like, oh yeah. Like, so that was, that was fun for me on the, on the nerdy back end of that story. It was tough last year just with, with COVID hidden because I wanted to see what that, and he was off to an incredible start. I mean, we had him, I think a scout at one of our games had him clocked at 97 in his, in like the fourth um, outing of the year. Like it would have, it was kind of bittersweet when, (laughs) when, you're not knowing you're going to have him back, but uh, no, he was he was very very good for us. How and you don't have to go into specifics here, obviously, coach, with with players' names. But has there been, um, you know, obviously, obviously, there's been a more unique circumstance this year. But but with guys getting that extra year and now a second extra year, like how is that really impacting you guys from a recruiting standpoint? Like, do you know who plans to come back or who was gonna come back? after this past year, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's like Juco recruiting is always so complicated as it is that it just seems uh, like like you guys would be running around with your heads cut off, like chickens with your heads cut off, you know? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, with, with that happening, it just kind of put a curveball in, in a lot of things. And I have guys that we kind of make joke that we're going to become a four-year school here pretty soon. Uh, turn. <laughs> just because of everyone getting years back. And it's just like, I didn't expect any of these guys back. And I think we lost five or six guys to uh, like Zach fruit to two, four year schools. And, and the rest decided to come back. And for me, I mean, that's, 
that's awesome, especially with this fall being what it was with COVID and not being able to do a whole lot with our guys. Um, it was nice to lean on some of those. I mean, it's weird saying that in a JUCO setting, but veteran guys that have been there for that third year. Um, but to, to answer your question with the, the recruiting, it's just at a JUCO level, you just never know with, so it's, it's, it's it makes it tough, but, uh, um, you got to assume everyone's going to leave. So, um, bringing in those, those guys for the, the next year is, is a big priority. Coach, you, you brought this up uh, earlier on in our talk here, and uh, we had another guest on the show, Colin Chikowsky, who also uh, mentioned this uh, driveline seems to be a very hot topic for multiple reasons around the baseball world nowadays, uh, sometimes negative, sometimes positive. What has your experience been with it uh, in your program, and how much would you recommend it to maybe not just other college programs, but even high school programs as well? Uh, yes, you hit the nail on the head right there. There's negatives and positives for me. I think, um, what we do and what we found successful or what our program has found successful, me and the pitching coach is basically guys that are familiar with it. Like we'll, we'll do it. Um, we'll take bits and pieces from it for other guys. Um, but part of development for me is letting guys be themselves. So, if guys aren't comfortable with it or I don't feel comfortable um, doing it with a guy, then I have that talk with them and, and we see where he's at. So we, we do a little bit of it. Uh, some guys do a lot more of it. Some guys do a little bit of it. Some guys do the arm care. I think the arm care is, is, is very good from it. Um, but you just got to have the people and in, in, in the, the coaches that can do it um, or are certified and know what they're, what they're doing because it can be very dangerous for guys that aren't fully developed yet. So would you say, uh, just to follow up on that, that a lot of the so on, you know, so-called failures, I guess, in driveline has a lot to do with the implementation of the program more than the program itself? I think it's, it's, it's kids trying to do what they see by themselves and not having that direction um, is where you run into some problems there. Um, where they're not sure what they're doing, but they, they think it looks good and they see it on, on, on the uh, internet and they try to do it themselves. And that's when, that's when it becomes a problem. It's a perfect answer, man. I, I agree with you hundred percent. I, I think it's like, you know, I, I, I'm a believer in the driveline program. We use it at St. Mary's. Uh, I recommend it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but hundred percent agreed that like, especially with players who are, you know, 15 to, to the JUCO level, to the college level, like until you really know your body and really understand biomechanics like that, you should absolutely have somebody like not holding your hand, but showing you the right way to do the program. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> so coach, tell me, uh, who's this year's Zach Fruit, man? Who, who's going to blow up in the spring and then end up on the draft board in a year or so? I tell you what, Brian, we are pitching. I'm, that's one thing that I'm excited about this year is is our pitching staff and and pitching. You know, you know that is it's the name of the game. Uh, you're going to go as far as your pitching takes you. And um, this year, I think our pitching staff is as deep as it's ever been since I've been here. Um, we had eight guys this fall throw in the 90s or at least get to 90, um, which is incredible. Um, but we have three guys right now that have, that have already signed, uh, Andrew Carson being one of them signed to Michigan state earlier. Um, he can, he can run it up there. I'm, I'm, he's probably going to be, uh, arguably our number one. Um, and I'm really looking forward to, to what he can do. Um, 
George Ferguson is another one, kind of an unknown. Uh, he, in my opinion, is the next. He's, he's the Zach Fruit of this year. Uh, lefty stands about six three. One of the most athletic kids I've ever seen. He actually just signed to Campbell University, um, and he'll probably be arguably, I think, one of our best pitchers this year. Um, numbers wise, this this past uh, summer. He dominated in two of the leagues that that he played in, and and he he only gets better and better and better. And it's it's fun again. It's fun to watch his development. Um, and then another one of our those those will be two of our starters. Another one of our starters that signed earlier this year with Dayton is uh, Ryan Steinhauer. Again, another big, tall, lanky left-hander um, that's going to be very very good for us. Um, and then, yeah, our bullpen, we got Ben Reif. I know, you know, we've talked about him. Uh, Mitch mm-hmm. White is, is really blowing up lately. He actually was 93, 90, yeah, 93 in his latest bullpen. Um, Andrew Ohmke is another one of our guys. He's a transfer from Bowling Green uh, when, when their program had originally folded. Um, and he stands about 6'5". He can run it up to, to 92, really looking forward to what he can do. So, yeah, like I said, I'm 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 extreme as a coach, man. You can't ask for for much more than that. So I'm I'm excited to see what what our pitching staff can can do this year um, with with those guys at at the head of it. Excellent. Looking forward to getting up to Lansing and seeing you guys play this spring for sure. Uh, obviously, COVID cut up cut out about I don't know eighty percent of my spring looks this past year. So I'm really excited to get back on the road and, and go chase stuff down and, and um, see JUCO baseball played in, in my home state at a high level. Uh, Coach, really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Uh, we had a great talk. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think I speak for Brandon when I say that as well. Really appreciate your time and good luck this spring, man. We're looking forward to following along. Yeah, thank you guys, and I appreciate uh, appreciate you guys having me on, and and I appreciate what you guys are doing uh, with, with this. And and again, uh, Brian with the and Brandon with the with the JUCO stuff is awesome. Thanks, Coach. We're here with our player guests for episode three of Cold Weather Bats. We're joined by Woodhaven High School grad and current Wabash Valley left-handed pitcher Colin Chikowski. Colin, thanks for joining the program, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, for sure. Uh, we, you know, we we had Downriver Week last week, and we, we're going to have you on then. But then we kind of wanted to do a JUCO-themed podcast, so we we saved you a week. We we pushed you back a week, and I think it's going to work out for everybody. But uh, yes, Colin definitely represents both the Downriver Week and the JUCO Week here at Cold Weather Bats for uh, for those listening. Uh, so, Colin, I, we wanted to, to jump right into this, and we're going to put you on the spot, man. Go back to your Woodhaven days. Take us back there. Tell us about your most memorable performance, the thing that you, you know, when you're falling asleep, you smile thinking about. Like, you know, we got that from Zach Cohn a couple of weeks ago, and now we want to hear it from you. Yeah, uh, I mean, I definitely heard what he had to say. Um, you know, uh, I was a freshman at the time um, that he threw against us, and he was lights out. The kid was, it was one of the best performances I've seen. Um, and it was definitely one of the best performances that we that we've played against. Uh, but one thing that definitely makes me smile is probably uh, my junior year state championship run. Uh, you know, our, our school never won a district. Uh, you know, we we had trouble winning leagues all the way up until, you know, about the time Coach Farner got in there. And uh, you know, just making that run, it was it was really historic. Uh, you know, we, we kind of put Downriver on the map and also put Woodhaven on the map as you know, a team that was going to continue to have success uh, in the years to come. Uh, you know, the one game that really stood out to me was 
the brother rice game at Michigan state. Uh, you know, I, I didn't throw that game. Drew through, uh, drew Chapaniak. He threw, he was absolutely dominant. Uh, you know, they had a lot of top talent. They had, you know, three, four or five D one commits, uh, and a, definitely a couple D D two. And, and I know they had a D three player for sure. Um, but you know, it was, it was going to be a battle and we knew that going in and, uh, you know, the one, the one memory for sure is definitely hitting a home run. And I want to say the bottom of the third, uh, they, they had a lefty in and, um, you know, I, I got a hold of one and put it over the right field fence and that right field fence is pretty high. So I didn't know whether or not, uh, it was going to make it over, but that was definitely, you know, my favorite high school memory for sure. So Brian was uh, talking about this, I think a couple of weeks ago as well. Uh, so Orchard Lake came and came to beautiful Woodhaven, Michigan, uh, and played you guys in a nice early spring scrimmage. And uh, he mentioned uh, your pretty awesome performance against, obviously, a pretty loaded uh, St. Mary's team. So talk a little bit about that performance against them and what that meant for you to go on a stage against a team with that much talent and hold your own, especially for a team like you mentioned with Woodhaven, who had been kind of counted out for quite a while due to the pass. Yeah, uh, definitely. We, uh, you know, losing Drew um, and a couple other guys that year, uh, you know, like Justin Sharon, uh, you know, that definitely hurt, but going into the, uh, going into that season, uh, you know, we felt confident, we knew going into Orchard Lake, they had, you know, the top talent in the state and still do. Uh, and, you know, we just need, we just knew that we had to go out there and, you know, win the day. Uh, you know, we, uh, our coach preached that for the week, the week, the week prior to that, excuse me. Um, and, you know, that's what kind of what we went out there to do. And we, we got, I wouldn't say we got lucky, but, they're a very good team and it, we knew it was going to be tough to get the win, but, uh, you know, we had a couple kids that really stepped up. We had a junior named Nathan Overton. Um, you know, he had a huge day. Uh, that was his first varsity experience. And, uh, I think he had two or three RBIs and a bunt single. Uh, and that was really kind of the key that key to the, our performance of kind of winning that game, because that's kind of what pushed us over the edge at the end of the day. Colin and Brandon are both underselling Colin's performance in that game. It, it was 32 degrees opening day, you know, the wind whipping off of the great orchard lake and Colin came, walked out of the mound and at the bottom of the second inning, I looked at Petrie and said, yeah, I don't know if we're going to get any today, Matt. Uh, <laughs> just dom- just absolutely dominant. <laughs> uh, so that, that's what stands out to me. Y'all were underselling it. Like, you know, I remember most of the game, not every particular of it, but the, the biggest thing that stands out was we didn't have a chance when Colin's on the mound. Um, yeah, man. So, so take us, you know, we, we talked down where we talked you past. Let's take us to more of the present. Like you're at Wabash Valley. It's one of the, the premier Juco's in the country. One of the most loaded every single year, talent wise, you know, you guys are going to have 20 D one commits or whatever by the end of the day, uh, at the end of the spring. And, you know, I, I would imagine being the guy who does this for perfect game, that you're probably in a pretty good spot heading into the season on, on preseason rankings lists. Um, so, so I just wanted to, kind of get your thoughts on like what was the culture change you know you go from downriver go to u of m now you're at wabash like what is the biggest thing that kind of punched you in the face when you got there uh definitely the six six and a half hour drive there uh you know there's not much to look at other than cornfields and uh you know i definitely knew going in kind of what it was going to be like i knew you know that's kind of what there was all to look at the whole way. And when we got there and there was just a little small college that kind of popped up on the left-hand side, I looked at my mom and dad and I was, they would say we're here. And I was like, we're here. Like, this is really it. Um, so it was awesome. You know, it, it was definitely something I'll remember the rest of my life. Uh, you know, 
I've kind of fell in love with, you know, the teammates that I have where we got a really good group of guys. We all get along really well on and off the field. So that's kind of what's made it so special so far. And that's why I think we've had a lot of success this fall of, you know, getting better. And, you know, that's also why we have, you know, four or five, six commits already uh, to some pretty big schools. You know, they put in the work every day and, you know, they continue to push um, each other and push the rest of the team to get better. So it's a very good environment that we have going on over there. And Coach Fulton has done a really good job so far. So everybody has a, you know, a college experience and I think even more so a JUCO experience. So uh, I know we haven't hit spring yet, but so far, uh, what have you learned just from the environment of being uh, uh, what they call a quote unquote JUCO bandit? Uh, you know, there's definitely things that I took for granted when I went to Michigan. You know, we uh, we got money for meals. We were able to go out to eat and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, field duties. Uh, obviously, we had field duties at Michigan. But, you know, when you're at a JUCO, you know, the budget's kind of small. So every, you know, minor or major project, you know, you do is it's it's for the culture. It's for your team. And that way you're saving money. You know, I, I remember earlier this fall, um, you know, we mulched every tree around the baseball diamond. I think there's, I, I don't know how many trees there were, but there's a ton. And, you know, it, it's some of those things that you laugh at um, after you did them, but you're thinking to yourself like, no way, like we, we actually have to mulch trees. Well, yeah, it's Juco baseball. Um, I also remember when, uh, you know, they cut the grass super thin one day, just uh, at towards the end of the fall. And we had to rake the whole entire field of all the grass. We had to clear all the grass of it before we could even practice. So we were out there two hours prior to practice, uh, you know, raking grass to make sure that we were able to practice that day. And, you know, our coach always says, you know, this is, this is what makes you better. And it, it's funny because, you know, it really does. It makes the culture better. You know, it's a great environment that he's created so far. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of the spring for sure. So big spring ahead for you. Like we've already mentioned, what is going on uh, in, during your off season and what are you looking to work on here uh, ahead of your uh, next, uh, next performance here in the Juco's? Uh, you know, this, this winter, I actually started driveline for the first time in my life. Uh, I wasn't completely bought into it, uh, you know, years prior, um, you know, more my senior year of high school, my freshman year of college. I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something that stood out to me that I needed to do. Uh, you know, the more I talked to coach Drewinger, our pitching coach at Wabash, uh, he's like, you know, I think some of the, some of the things might refine some of your mechanics and make them better. And, you know, I was like, okay, like, yeah, we'll try it out. And uh, so I've been working up that prime time velocity up there in Waterford, uh, actually for the whole month of December uh, and part of January now. And it, it's been great. Uh, I've seen a lot of changes. I feel a lot stronger on the mound. Uh, I've got rid of, you know, the wrist curl that people have told me to get rid of for, uh, you know, months or years of my life. And I'm starting to become a lot more consistent. I'm starting to develop a lot better of an off-speed pitch. Um, and yeah, so, so it's been, you know, so far so good. And I'm continuing to follow what, uh, Jordan has for me in plan and what coach Drewinger has. And we're going to continue to attack that every day and, you know, just look to get better. Colin, kind of a more introspective question for you here, man. Like I'd like to, I'd like for you to picture yourself, you know, you just finished your high school career. You're, you're, you're heading to the big time, et cetera, et cetera. Kids who are headed to power five schools in the same situation, like what, what do you wish you could tell them? What do you wish you could tell yourself that you didn't know at the time? You know, like you got to work out harder or you got to sleep more or whatever it is. Like, what is the first thing that jumps into your head? Uh, definitely time management skills. Uh, you know, I know most, you know, kids going to a power five know what it's like, you know, 
every given day um, or what they think it's going to be like, but it, it's totally different. You know, you kind of wake up every day around 8 a.m. You have class from about 8.30 to 12.30. Um, from there, you have lift from, you know, 1.30 to 2.30 or 3. Uh, and then you have practice from, you know, 3 to 7 and then tutoring 8 to 10. So, you know, it's one of those things you got to be able to, you know, still get all your schoolwork done, but also still get all your baseball work in in the same day. And it, it was really tough. It definitely was. And I definitely struggled with that as a freshman. Uh, so, you know, if I was to look back and tell myself going in, I definitely would have tried to be more organized and more structured when it came to dealing with baseball and school back in high school. For sure. That's a great answer, man. I, I think that we've heard that, Brandon, from a, a bunch of different coaches that we've talked to, not even on this podcast in particular, but like just throughout the course of our, our lives. Like, you know, what do you what do you wish more freshmen knew? And I think like to a man, and I can remember having this conversation with Ope, who was obviously on the, the first episode of the show, was his answer is always time management. Like, you know, he's not worried that the kids don't know how to work out. He's not worried that the kids don't know how to play. He's not worried that the kids don't know how to do homework. But he is worried about the amount of all of those things, you know, at the same time kind of pressing on you and like every single day, it's no, you don't get it. You have 18 hours of every day booked or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, man, I, I think that's a great answer. And, uh, yeah, if you could tell the folks, uh, where they can find you on social media, then we'll, uh, we'll shut this down. And then, uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm off of social media right now, actually. So I will not be, I won't be on for a few more months, uh, but you can follow me at Colin CZ underscore 21 um, on Twitter and then Colin dot 21 on Instagram. That's a great answer. I don't think we've ever had the answer of I actually am not on social media. So <laughs> probably helps with time management. Yeah, it definitely has. Yeah, it definitely has so far. So uh, I'm going to continue to do it and uh, continue just to work towards having success this, uh, this spring and you know, looking forward to a very positive spring. Can't wait for it. We're looking forward to following along, man. Can't wait to see your progress. Can't wait to see you uh, take the Juco world by storm and then move on to, to bigger and better things. Thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we are joined by Days on Cole here for our next players segment uh, here for Juco Week. Uh, Days on is a, a West Bloomfield grad. Uh, Pontiac native, uh, spent some time at Wabash Valley and then went to Central Michigan, spent some time in the Angels organization, and then this past summer with uh, the USPBL. Days on, my man. How you doing? How you doing? Everything's going well, my man. Everything is going well. Days on, you and I kind of date back a little bit to our uh, to our youth days, back when you were 14 years old, showing up, just chucking like mid-80s like it was nothing. That was fun to catch. I had a red <laughs> hand for quite a while. Velo's Velo has always kind of been your thing. So tell tell me what it's like just to, you know, obviously it, it, it doesn't just come along naturally. For some it does, for some it doesn't. You have had some some natural traits. But, uh, but regardless, dating back to when you were, I mean, 13, 14, you really always had that power fastball. Talk about uh, what your determination has been on the mound and what your strategy has been on the mound using that, that, that velo approach when you were young and then uh, learning as the older you get, the less it kind of uh, becomes as prominent. Yeah, so when you're young and you throw pretty hard, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to uh, beat guys because a lot of guys around that age don't know what velo is. I mean, nowadays, like, velo is all around, so it's a little bit easier for like, younger guys to pick up on that. But back when we were playing, when we was 13, 14, 
it was just easy to use a, you know, use a fastball against guys. Uh, you didn't even have to locate it. If it was somewhere around the strike zone, you was going to get a swing. Anyways, um, so I really didn't have any breaking, uh, breaking pitches just because the fastball was dominant and uh, at that age group. Um, but I definitely, as I start growing and, you know, you start seeing velo everywhere, uh, it came down to if you can locate the velo. Uh, so as hard as I throw, uh, the older I got, you know, the harder it got hit, depending on the certain guys. I mean, you could get it past a couple guys, but when you had those good hitters like me personally, like Xavier Warner, uh, he was probably one of the best hitters that I faced at Central uh, during fall and everything, and he will stay on anything that was mid-80s or anything that was mid-90s, um, just how good of a hitter he was. But it came down to locating that pitch and being able to have the backup, like a changeup or curveball to throw him off uh, and then come back with the fastball. So it, it definitely involves as you get older. Dazem, what have you found to be your best, like, secondary wrinkle? You know, you just talked about being able to command the fastball and how important that is. But what have you found, like, over the course of your college career to now as a professional? Like, what is your best secondary pitch? Is it locating a two-seamer? Is it a changeup? Is it throwing a slider? Like, what what is your best secondary? So, um, my changeup was inconsistent. And uh, the only thing I could be more consistent in was my slider. But looking back at it, I, I would say the changeup is definitely the best. Uh, well, is the best secondary pitch, and it's starting to be one of uh, coming along to be my best secondary pitch. Uh, it's something easier I can easier locate, and I can throw it just like a fastball. But having something that drops that was like a fastball and then drops off uh, late minute, uh, the last minute, is probably the hardest pitch to hit. And then changeup is probably the hardest pitch to hit in the game. Having something that, you know, looking just like a fastball and then last minute it just drops off. So I think that throws off hitters really well. Um, when my slider was my second best pitch, uh, you know, it was, it was, it wasn't, I wouldn't say the slider was as good as a changeup. Just, you know, just going a different way uh, from the changeup. It just, you know, it was easier for guys to stay on the slider, but it, for a changeup is a lot harder for guys to stay on something like that. So I'd definitely say a changeup. I think our generation, I, I know we're both, you know, 2014 guys who I feel like we, we really saw that, that um, huge jump as far as the popularity of pitch design. And then like you said earlier on, just the accessibility to gain velocity nowadays, as opposed to before mm -hmm. guys like you do, you guys like you were one in, you know, 20, one in 50 guys in high school back when we were, uh, you know, in high school. Nowadays, there's so many guys throwing at that rate. Like you said earlier on, what can you say about the, the difference of a high school player now and the importance of pitch design as opposed to velocity? I would say for pitch design, it's definitely good to have an arsenal. Um, it's going to be a lot of hitters now that, you know, like as pitchers, how we develop pitches and have all this technology now to help us, hitters have, have that same advantage now. And as a pitcher, you have to be able to throw a lot of pitches, a lot of different pitches in the strike zone that be able to get hitters off. 
Um, a lot of hitters that can stay on the ball a lot longer have an advantage over pitchers who throw, uh, has velo and everything. So I would say velo matters in certain situations, but it's about being able to throw all your pitches for strikes to match with the line of hitters. Dazon, can you take me through kind of what, and you touched on this earlier briefly, but what did you find to be kind of the, the, the more challenging thing with hitters as you climbed the ladder? Like obviously West Bloomfield to Wabash to, to Central Michigan, at all those stops kind of along the way, like what was the, oh, I have to do this now, like to get hitters out? You know what I mean? Like what was the, going from West Bloomfield to Wabash, what was that jump in hitter quality like? And then going from Wabash to CMU, you know, that's the sort of same question there. Okay, okay. So when I was at uh, West Bloomfield, I mean, you have, like like I said before, a lot of guys uh, never seen Velo. It's only a few, a few of us that threw hard uh, uh, in high school, like one Matt Rubenthal, like he he was uh, he was hard to hit because he, he had feel like guys who threw hard had the advantage in high school. Um, when I tried, when I went up to Wabash, it was it was a little different. You had a little bit older guys. I mean, about two two years older than you or whatnot. But the difference was that those guys. Uh, were from all over, so they faced guys in Texas or California or Georgia or wherever you know they're from overseas and whatnot. They faced guys that threw hard already. So at that point, it, was, it came down to being able to have a secondary pitch to be able to throw that off the fastball, off the velo, or um, having something that can change eyesight on hitters. And then from there, going to, to Central, it got a little deeper. Now you're facing uh, guys that, like, as a freshman, you coming in, what, 18, 19, you're facing guys who are three to four years older than you, guys who played against other top schools like Alabama and stuff like that, like uh, schools that, that has guys who throw hard consistently and have, what, what like most of the starters, um, most of the bullpen guys who throw mid nineties, low to mid nineties. So then it came down to being able to have three or four pitches uh, as a starter, having three or four as a closer, having three good pitches that you can throw consistently for strikes. And so I think that was like my biggest thing as uh, going from level to level was being able to be consistent with uh with all three pitches, and I mean it was it was a little harder for me because I wasn't just a uh, just a pitcher, uh, I was I was a two way, so I couldn't really develop the consistency I needed with all my pitches and being able to even develop a good number two pitch for me. Um, so it was a little harder for me, but talking to a lot of pitcher uh, pitcher POs, um, they you know they told me that. Like, even for them, like, being able to master uh, a good secondary pitch and having been able to throw a lot of pitches, uh, all your pitches for strikes will definitely take you a long way. I've seen guys that didn't throw hard have more success than guys who do hard. So that was, a big, that was one of the biggest takeaways for me uh, going from each level. 
Azan, you, you just mentioned it. Talk about the the balance you have to have as a two way prospect and as a two way player. Obviously, being a two way isn't something that's common at the college level. It takes a guy with uh, with a certain moxie, with a certain makeup, to be able to do those things. So, talk about the balance you had to have uh, as a two way. Oh, it was it was definitely hard um, for me uh, being a two way like. Through all uh, through all the levels until I got with the Angels, it was it was definitely more work for me. Uh, sometimes I have to come back, uh, go back in and train late night just to get hitting it or a little more throwing in or something, just because it was tough to do it all in one practice. Some days I was just a uh, I was just a pitcher, or some days I was just a hitter or a fielder. At that point, um, it's definitely challenging. You have to actually you have to put in extra work. Uh, you definitely have to put in extra work when it comes to being a two-way at the uh, college level. It's not it's not as easy as people make it seem. Um, you get more work in than everybody else, and you have to put more work in than everybody else if you want to continue to be a two-way. A lot of, I've seen a lot of guys go from being a two-way to just being a position player or a pitcher only. Um, so it's definitely it's definitely hard to try to manage it. So you definitely have to. Get in, a, uh, get in a place that, you know, you have to get your work in uh, at some point uh, later that day or something like that to maintain that. Dazon, can you take us through the draft process a little bit? I, obviously, Brandon and I are, are pretty familiar with it, but I'm not so sure that all of our listeners are. So if you could kind of just take us through, because I believe you were eligible a few times, right? Like out of Wabash and then maybe once or twice at CMU. So if you could just kind of give us a rundown, like how that process goes, how do how do scouts go about talking with you? Like, what are those interviews like? How was draft day when you finally got the call? You know, something like that. We'd love to hear it. Uh, are we are we talking about both uh, in high school too, as well, or just in college? Either way, man. However you want to take it, we'll sit here and listen. Okay. Um, in high school, it was it was a little different. Uh, I wasn't doing most of the talking. Uh, I was more of my family doing a a lot of the talking and, you know, scouts showed up and everything. Um, I remember the day that I got drafted out of high school that year. We were, uh, I was at West Moonfield and we were, I want to say in a regionals finals game and we lost uh, two nothing to uh, Brighton, I want to say. Um, But that day it was, it was different because you, you know, you wasn't talking to a lot of scouts. Uh, I wasn't talking to a lot of scouts and, at that point, you know, you just wanted to play. You're a high school kid still, and you just want to play the game of baseball at that point. Uh, once my name got called, you know, things uh, things starting to look up uh, at that uh, at that moment. But at, at the same time, aside, because we just we just got done losing um, that game that we thought we should have had. Um, so that's why I took the junior college route. Um, is that when I got drafted? Then um, it was. It was something that I, I wasn't a part of what it was and why uh, I didn't take the money then. But we, uh, me and my family felt best to uh, go to uh, college and maybe go to junior college at that point to to develop better uh, as a player and everything. So with that, um, that's where the JUCO route went. And it was, it, everything was good there, um, but I had some mishaps there where I didn't uh, play so I had um, you know, injuries and stuff like that, which I ended up getting a call from uh, Central Michigan once they found that out. 
they were like, Hey, we can come here. You can come here, come back here and we can develop you as a, as a two way or as a pitcher or whatever you wanted to be. And I, I, I ran with that opportunity. Um, I want to say in two, 2017 was my first year being eligible at central Michigan. And that was pretty, you know, that was pretty tough. I was a two way guy. Um, I had a good fall. Um, but the season was a little tough because I was, I was doing again, being a two way playing outfield pitching every so often and everything. So it was a little, it was a little tough for me to, to actually, you know, get, you know, get my name out there a little more in the college world, um, for the draft day. Um, so, uh, come next year to, uh, come next year to, to 2018 when I ended up getting drafted, um, it was a little difficult for me that year. So I barely played at Central. Uh, we had a lot of younger guys that came in that coaches, uh, that the coaching staff thought were better, uh, better, better suited for the positions and everything. Um, so I, I barely played. So when I got my name called that year, it was, it was, it was, actually surprising to me because I didn't have any stats or anything really behind me. The only thing I had was the fall that I had uh, during scout day and everything. And when, uh, at that time I was able to talk to the scouts a lot more, we actually had sit downs with scouts and they, you know, they asked, they asked certain questions like, what do you look for? Uh, what are you looking for out of the draft? What do you want to accomplish this year? Uh, and things like that. And, um, so it was, it was it was just like a normal conversation like we have now, just you know questions and they they check up on you uh, throughout the uh, time you were there at the uh, at the school and everything, and um, they asked about your family and all. So they actually try to build a relationship with you to get you to get to know you as a person and everything. So I thought that was actually a, like a really good thing that those guys were doing at that point and. And, you know, as you develop a relationship with them, you know, you, de- you develop a confidence as a guy because now you, it's not like, you're trying to get on the team, but at the same time, you just, now you're confident enough to play your game and not have to worry about, okay, this scout, uh, I got to try to impress the scout and everything. No, you know, they, you, they're humans just like us. And when you play your game, you, you show out way more than trying to uh, impress somebody and everything. So I, when, when they told me that, uh, I can't remember what scout told me that, but he told me that just play yourself. Uh, you know, you don't have to try to make it seem scripted and everything when talking to me and stuff like that. Or even out there on the field, you know, you're going to have your up and downs. Just be yourself. And that really helped me. Uh, come out my shell a little more because I was always a quiet guy. Even at school, I was a quiet guy. Um, didn't really say much, and you know, so it, it helped me definitely come out of my shell more. And you know, when I got drafted, I was you know I was surprised. And when I went there, I was you know I was with the Angels, and at this point, I was like, you know, I'm getting closer to my goal. So you know, I got to continue to keep working but remembering to be myself through it all days on uh obviously like you've spoken about this whole time a very a very uh, real journey for you and i love how uh you mentioned just being yourself there um because that's that's a message that i think i think your uncle eddie has always passed along as well and has always really resonated uh oh, yeah. for you guys which is which is really cool uh, and, and cool to hear from you as well uh you know 
a word that I hear a lot nowadays um, is opportunity. And uh, and for you, you have this new opportunity uh, with the USPBL this past summer. Talk about that uh, here uh, as we wrap up. Yeah, um, I was fortunate enough to get help to get into the uh, USPBL once I got released. Um, Scott Pickens, uh, he owns Pickens uh, Academy Baseball. Uh, but he definitely he knew a couple guys uh, actually, one of the guys that worked there went to Central, and he helped put my name in there uh, with the uh, USPBL. And I got the opportunity to go there and play, and I ran with it. It was actually one of the better years of baseball I would say I, uh, I had. I was I was able to go out there, have fun, uh, play the game during you know pandemic and everything, and I was you know being able just to be on on the field and. Um, Playing, you know, competitive baseball was, you know, that's part about, you know, them being able to give me the opportunity. Um, I definitely took advantage of it, and you know, I got a, I got a lot out of it uh, this year, and a lot, I learned a lot about myself more this year um, on what I can develop better in, and um, actually being, uh, being a coach to myself, uh, being able to sit myself down and go over uh, games and everything since they, uh, they you know, put them up on YouTube and everything, see where I can become better at and what I need to do better. And uh, So I definitely ran with that opportunity. It was a great opportunity that I was given. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, like I said before the show when we were talking, this is, you know, our, our, our mission here is just to try and, uh, you know, give you guys a, a – uh, platform to kind of spread your story and then hopefully somebody hears this and, mm. and, and learns something from it uh and and if if anybody else is listening and, and learns something from you i think that's beneficial for everybody where can our listeners find you on social media um i mean i have an instagram uh twitter uh i think my instagram is alico underscore four uh, and I want to say the same with my Twitter. If not, it's Alicole4. Um, but, yeah. Days, I appreciate you having on, man. I look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, no, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. And that'll be that. As far as our interviews go this week, three outstanding guests, uh, obviously leading off with uh, Jordan Kerr from Lansing CC, the head coach there. Such a great interview, such great insight. And I'd love that we've we've been able to have this sort of JUCO-themed week here. And, like, this is not something that we're going to necessarily do forever as far as, like, having themes each week because uh, I think we're going to run out. You know, I, I'm sure at some point it'll be, let's talk to this coach, let's talk to this player, let's have a discussion about this, you know, current issue, and, and that'll be kind of the what the episodes look like, I think, once we really settle in. But for now, I'm, I'm digging the the thematic ones, the, the thematic episodes where we, uh, you know, gather guests with similar backgrounds and stuff like that. But, yeah, man, I, I thought Kerr and, and Dazon and, and Colin were all great. Like, don't you? Yeah, I mean, they, they gave us all kinds of uh, perspective, I think is a big thing, uh, on each of their individual uh, perspectives. We got a... I think we did really well because we got a head coach's perspective, we got a current JUCO player's perspective, and then we got a former JUCO player's perspective. So we kind of got to see three sides of, of what it is. And then, you know, additionally from that, the, the former player's perspective we got from Dazon is a guy who turned a, a JUCO 
uh, a JUCO commit into a col- or into a professional contract. So uh, you know, a really cool perspective from Dazon, a really cool perspective from Colin, uh, and then uh, Coach Kerr. Obviously, I think he he really shed some light on the on the JUCO landscape and uh, just a really informative episode. And <clears throat> as we continue to go along, I think like we said from the jump, we're really just trying to not only you know give our listeners a way to learn, um, but also trying to help our guests, you know, in any way we can, whether it be to, to shed some light for coach Kerr on some, maybe some potential, uh, future prospects some guys who, who are like, okay, yeah, maybe Juco is, isn't so bad, uh, which I know we'll get into here shortly, but yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely stellar interviews. I, I think. Yeah. And that's a, I don't think it's as common in, in the South. And, and obviously, as you know, I, I travel quite frequently, uh, for my job. And you know, I see baseball all over the country, and, and I get to get to know like the the sort of cultural uh, dynamics of, of baseball in, in different parts of the country. And and like we talked about with Jordan, uh, kind of that negative connotation of JUCO ball. That's that's in my opinion far more prevalent in the North. Uh, like it, you and I are Michiganders. This is a Michigan themed show. It's way more prevalent up here than like you know in Florida or Texas or Arizona or even California in some cases. Um, it's just like those kids kind of seem to understand more that like going JUCO doesn't mean you failed. You know, like going JUCO doesn't mean that like you didn't achieve your goal or anything like that. It's going JUCO is in a lot of cases has a lot to do with just continued development. And that's what I don't think a lot of these guys get. And a lot of these kids get up here. And, and uh, we've had a kid or two go Juco at St. Mary's and, and it's, and we're you know excited to continue that trend moving forward with our seniors uh, going on and going to Juco's. Um, but yeah, man, it's like the, the prevailing kind of thought up here is that, Oh, well you only go Juco if, if you like, can't get into college or you only go juco if like you got arrested or you only go juco if you know no d1s want you and like that's literally like never the case man like that's a very small percentage like yes obviously we're not talking crap about anybody to say that juco offers some some academic freedom that that a, you know the ncaa clearinghouse does not and that's fine but that's an opportunity that's an opportunity for a kid who's a talented baseball player who wants to get better to go get his grades in line so then he can go to a four-year school. Like, it's not a negative. And I, I really wish I could just, like, scream that from the rooftops, especially to people I know within the state of Michigan, um, that it's not a step back. It still is a step forward. It's a it's a chance for you to continue your developmental trajectory. It's a chance for you to, to focus on baseball and, and – I don't remember if Colin talked about this in our interview or if it was in the pre-show, but you know, he's at Wabash Valley. It's one of the the premier JUCOs in the country as far as baseball goes. And there's nothing there, man. You know, like that's the lifestyle. It's not a negative. It's a, you're going to school for a year or two or maybe three in some cases, whatever, or four now with all the extra years from COVID, but you're going there for the purposes of getting better at baseball and killing the classroom. And that's pretty much it. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these JUCOs are in, are in very kind of small, you know, farmy urban towns. You know, not not I don't really know how to how to express that. But there really ain't a whole lot going on. You know, it's not like you're going to U of M in Ann Arbor 
where Ann Arbor's maybe my favorite city in the country. And then, you know, Wabash Valley is, is in Southern Illinois, where it's like Colin said, kind of just cornfields, man. So that dynamic, that attitude, that sort of mental headspace is where you need to be like, all right, I'm going to spend the next two years murdering the weight room, murdering the classroom, getting really good at baseball. And then all of a sudden, guess what? The power fives come calling. My phone blows up every fall, like clockwork. As soon as these as soon as these coaches get their get their players on campus in the fall and they get two weeks in, and then it's like, okay, well, we need a JUCO bat. We need a JUCO arm. We need a JUCO catcher, whatever it is. It's so, so heavy from a recruiting standpoint across all levels of, of college baseball. And I, like, I, I think that that needs more light shed on it. But I've talked enough, Brandon. What are your thoughts? Hey, I think you said it best. <laughs> I think you said it best. The key word here is opportunity. And I think the key word in, in anything, in any baseball journey, is opportunity, uh, truly. And JUCO is what I believe to be the ultimate opportunity because this isn't a fact by any means. It's, it can be. Um, there are guys who go to those four years and play pretty pretty quickly, but let me present a question here to our, to our listeners. <clears throat> I am slowly starting to feel the effects of winter with my voice here, but uh, let me present a, quish, a question here to our listeners. It's, it's pretty simple. It's, do you, you go to a JUCO and you have a very good opportunity, again, opportunity to play immediately and to go through the trials and tribulations of college baseball in the game itself, as we saw, as we heard from days on, how difficult it is for a high velo guy to go in and then all of a sudden face guys who, who hit that as opposed to in high school when they don't. Uh, or do you go to a four year where you're probably not going to see much of the field the first couple years, sometimes more than that. Sometimes you don't see it and then you got to transfer again. Again, there are guys who go to four years and and they sit those years out. They go and they succeed. They trust the process, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are guys who go to the four years, don't like the two year wait, end up transferring out, and then there's those anomalies who go to the four years and immediately are just impact players. But uh, the the perspective of JUCO for me is opportunity. It presents a space where you can go and compete. Uh, almost immediately as long as you are there to to be that to be in that juco mindset like you said the weight room uh the classroom uh like colin was talking about having to clean the field doing some things that you know you're not going to get pampered you're not going to get sugar-coated you're going to show up and you're going to work and it's going to improve your i i believe it's going to improve your work ethic it's going to improve uh what you become at the next level think about it man i mean i i believe colin is going to be a guy that ends up at another high-level Division One school, and and with the velo that he has from the left side, and, and that and that nasty curveball, and the obviously, like he told us during his interview, the mentality that he has now, uh, you know, implemented from this experience with JUCO. Dude, the sky's the limit. If you if you are extremely talented and you have a have a mindset with no excuses and you have a mindset of I'm below nothing, or I'm sorry, nothing is below me. That was backwards. Nothing is below me. You're typically going to end up being successful, I believe. Don't get me right. It doesn't mean you're going to go on and be a perennial MLB all-star, but I think you're making the most of your opportunities in that perspective. Now, like I said, that's not the end-all, be-all. That's not the end game. This does. This is not me saying, "Hey, you, uh, number one ranked player in the state, just go JUCO." You know, just go JUCO. It's not. It's not that. It, it's just one of those things where it's like, ask yourself that question. Look at the two sides of things. What is my situation going to be at X school if I go there, this four-year school? What's my situation going to be like the first two years? What is my situation going to be like at the JUCO? 
level um, and weigh out those opportunities and see what works best. Dazon Cole got drafted out of high school and decided to go to the JUCO route and still ended up signing a pro contract. I think that's that. I think that says a lot, and I think that uh, you know, I, I think that it's telling, and I think that, like you said, there is a a thing in the South where going JUCO isn't a bad thing, and I think as well in the South, going JUCO in football isn't too bad of a thing. Sometimes it's not as nearly as popular or as accessible, I would say, but. I mean, Cam Newton went JUCO, and there's certainly some other examples of some guys that started it in the JUCO in the JUCO ranks. And you know, I, I was just really excited that we got to shed some light on that this episode. I think it's um, I think it's important for our listeners to learn about that, and I think it's super important for people in our state to learn about that. Yeah, definitely. And we're obviously using this platform today uh, to talk specifically about JUCO, but it really it comes back like overall to, to what we kind of talked about with our Don River Roundtable last episode was it's about fit. It's about fit. You know, like it's about a player having realistic aspirations for himself. Realistic's a big word. You know, we're not saying oh, well, you need to realize that you're really not that good. Like, that's not what we're saying. But having realistic aspirations. And JUCO can play a huge role in that. Whether it's, you know, you have no offers or something except for this junior college. Like, that's an avenue to go play JUCO ball. Or maybe you have interest from some schools and and you think that, man, I I really believe I'm a D1 player, so I'm going to go JUCO and prove myself. Or, you know, any of the above. There's so many avenues to where... Juco baseball can be the right option, can be the right fit for a player. And like I said, when we kind of started this this segment, like it's not because you don't have grades and it's not because you have a criminal background. Those are the two most popular stupid ass things I hear uh, from players. Like, well, why would I go there? I have good grades. Like that's, you know, infuriates me (laughs) to hear something like that from players. And then, you know, those 16, 17 year old kids I hear that from are not like, making that up on their own. You know, some adult has told them that. So it, I'm just, I would like for us, if at all possible, to dissuade those notions uh, about Juco baseball, if we can. If we could change one person's mind, I think we're, we're doing well today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if we can make that our goal with every, whatever it is, like you said, we're going to have some themes early on just to, to streamline programming. Um, but even when we go on to just having more general episodes that are more so topic oriented rather than theme oriented still, like if we can always set out to impact one listener's perspective or impact one listener's, um, path, you know, or whether it be a player, whether that be a coach, um, whether that be a parent, um, or anything for that matter, that's why it was really important for us to, hammer out this juco episode early on um because juco is one of those things especially in michigan that has this um this perspective that's just not nearly as widespread like it it needs to be known and i think we chose and we were lucky i should say we were lucky enough to have three guests that provided three different perspectives but all with pretty positive outcomes definitely and I think with that, man, I think we're going to wrap this. I think we uh, we had a really good episode. I enjoyed the interviews as we talked about. I think our little riffing segment at the end here, you got to hear me get aggravated about JUCO perceptions. So I think that that's kind of what the people are looking for. And uh, <laughs> Anytime I get to hear you a little bit frustrated, it's a good day. <laughs> um, but, yeah, folks, with, with that being said, we're going we're gonna to shut this episode down. 
Um, you can follow the pod on Twitter at Cold Weather Bats. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at B underscore Sikowski underscore PG. You can follow Brandon on Twitter at Coach underscore B Justice. And uh, we'll be back next week for another great episode of Cold Weather Bats. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your week.